Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Well, howdy folks. Welcome to another podcast interview. This is Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. And God's grace and peace be unto you. Glad you can make it today. Uh, We have another episode here that we're tackling. Um, I got an interesting title for it. Uh, It's called Generation Revelation. And we're going to talk a little bit about generational things. We're going to hit it from uh, different angles. Uh, And I want to lay um, as a foundation uh, this passage of Scripture. It's in Psalms 78, and it's 1 through 7. Uh, With our many years of... as the Assistant Director of Operation Save America, National Director of Operation Save America, our dear brother Flip Benham, he must have preached on this passage of Scripture uh, countless times, you know, to really encourage that multi-kingdom generational vision. And this is something that really we, we built the Thomas Nation upon. Um, you know, as the patriarch of the Thomas Nation, you know, I was very much concerned about establishing that multi-kingdom generational vision. And uh, this passage of Scripture was foundational. And so God's Word says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known. Now listen, and our fathers have told us. Now obviously in this first portion of this passage of scripture, we can truly see, you know, some of the ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah, he, you know, obviously he plainly spoke at times. Uh, he proclaimed, you know, the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, but clearly throughout his ministry, he also spoke in parables and dark sayings. And so we see this foundationally. Uh, in the book of Psalms, and of course the Lord comes along and he implements it in the New Testament. Now, the scriptures go on to say, we will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children. Again, men, husbands, fathers, we have this duty uh, to humble ourselves, uh, to repent, uh, to surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, uh, and to do our, our duty 
and fulfill our responsibilities as men, as husbands, as fathers, as church leaders, and community leaders. And we have to take what we learn, those things that God has deposited in us, and make sure we faithfully pass it to our children and preserve it for generations yet to come. And it says that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. See how that works? You know, it's like this this uh, race of faith, right? We, we, we get born into a generation and we pick up this baton of the gospel of the kingdom and we're supposed to run our race faithfully, right? To cross that finish line. Uh, but before we cross that finish line, you know, we got to pass the baton you know, unto our children. And we have to encourage them and train them to make sure they pass the faith to their children and their children's children. And this is part of how the gospel of the kingdom spreads throughout the earth. And it says that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And you have to understand this, brothers and sisters, I think God has two main issues with us, you know, as his fallen creatures, as human beings in this fallen world. A, we're sinful. B, he's holy, right? And so, you know, thanks be to God for the gospel of the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because God resolves that problem, because there's no way a holy God can have a relationship with sinful creatures, and it's through Jesus Christ, that barrier, that gulf that was fixed between our Creator and us was removed through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and His raising from the dead. So even though we're guilty as sin and we deserve eternal wrath and hell uh, for our rebellion, our covenant-breaking ways, our lust, our greed, our envy, Christ removes that. He removes the penalty of our disobedience, and he took that punishment upon him, upon the cross. In this way, God, uh, who is just, and, the, and, and he, he, he deserves, you know, uh, obedience, and we don't give it. And so it was through Christ at the cross where the wrath of God, the justice of God, the love of God, the mercy of God came and kissed, right? And Jesus became the propitiation of our sin. He satisfied God's wrath. He, he, he established um, justice so that God can justify those who repent and put their faith and trust in him. And so we got that issue, right? That's, that's resolved through Jesus Christ our Lord. But then there's another issue, and this is for believers uh, alike. Uh, a lot of times we forget. We let things slip, right? And so, you know, we, we tend to forget. And so God, you know, has to put us in remembrance. And praise be to God, he does that. Uh, he knows how to take us to the woodshed. He knows how to discipline us, right? He, he knows how to make us cry. He, he knows how to make us yield and come back to him when we forget things and kind of go astray. 
Uh, he's a faithful father. He's a good shepherd. And, and praise God for his tenacity uh, to keep us as the apple of his eye. And so, brothers and sisters, I just want to share a little bit about this whole kind of generation revelation. And I just want to share some things that I, I've taught my children along the way. Most of you know, uh, the Lord has blessed me uh, with 13 uh, children. And um, I have two of them that have gone before us. They passed on and they are with the Lord. And obviously we love and we miss them dearly, but I still have 11 here on earth. And uh, we homeschooled our children. And the name of our homeschool was the University of Righteousness. And this is how we trained up the Thomas Nation. And one of the things that I really try to impart into our children uh, and really challenge their thinking, uh, their worldview, and, uh, and, and even, you know, in some ways define, uh, you know, certain successes in life. And so one of the things I shared with them that there's a huge difference between worldly success and kingdom success. Now, our emphasis when it came to our children is, you know, obviously we, we want them to do well in the world. You know what I mean? We, we got to train them, equip them to be responsible, you know, to, to be productive and to serve well, work hard. You know, we taught them all those ethics, you know what I mean? But honestly, the main objective that we were looking for is not for them to just be successful um, in the world's terms, but to be successful human beings. And, and what I mean by that is we took time to teach them what does success look like um, as a child? You know, uh, what, what does success look like as a sibling? And of course, as they grow older, what, what does success look like um, as a husband or a wife or a father or a mother or a grandparent? Um, because one of the things I try to encourage my kids, there, there's so many who just concentrate on being successful in, in school or academics or in a career or even in ministry, but are major failures when it comes to the most important and eternal things of life. And I believe our, our Lord uh, captured this and said it best. He said, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And so here's the thing, brothers and sisters, people can be very successful in business and academia, sports, you know, fortune and fame and all that stuff. But if you ever went to their homes or you sat down and talked to them and you looked into their eyes, you know, which is the window of the souls. Like, what do they have success when it comes to their personal souls? You know, what about the state of their marriage? You know, what 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 are what is the condition of their families? You know, what about their children? You know, are they healthy? Are they sound? Are they whole? You know, or are they in torment? Are they being tortured? 
you know, by sin and the evil one, right? And so you could have all this worldly outward success, but the things that are most important in life, they're, they're left in shambles. So, you know, at the end of the day, how successful are you when you have achieved all this money and this fame and fortune? What happens to that when you come home? Like, what are you resting that success on where it matters most? And so I spent a lot of time, you know, speaking of these things to our children because we wanted them to be successful Christian human beings so that no matter what stage of life they were in, uh, they were operating under a biblical worldview when it came to being, you know, children and then growing into adulthood uh, and then, you know, uh, getting married, starting their own families and, uh, and just passing on this multi-kingdom generation. And some of the other truths, you know, we taught our children along the way is A, um, they did not choose us as their parents, right? They didn't choose where and when they would be born. And this is huge, uh, especially for today's topic. They didn't choose the generation that they would come into this world. That was the sovereign choice of the Lord our God. And all we know is this, is that God brings us into the kingdom for such a time as this. And so we would talk to them, not just, um, you know, through the grid of their individuality, but we would talk to them, you know, generational. And, uh, and so we would kind of share with them, you know, even when it came to the, let's say, the area of God's judgment, right? He doesn't just judge individuals. Uh, he doesn't just judge nations. And, and it's not just, you know, the final judgment, the great white throne judgment. But here's the thing. Biblically, he also judges generations. And again, this, is, th this aspect of generational thinking is very much missing, you know, from the body of Christ. That God looks upon generations. Uh, he assesses them. And he, he brings uh, his judgments uh, to pass in, in a generational way. Now, I want to make this one, this is going to go down a little rabbit hole here, because especially when I'm, I'm, I'm talking uh, to my kids about how God judges nations. And there's this uh, quote uh, by George Mason. He's one of our founding fathers. He, he was the main architect of our Bill of Rights. And uh, when he was uh, putting together our Bill of Rights, uh, he, he was anti-slavery and it grieved his heart uh, that our nation uh, was participating in the kidnapping of men. And he knew, he, he knew and he warned our nation that if we did not stop you know, shadow slavery uh, in the United States of America that Almighty God was going to deal with us. 
And of course, his warnings uh, went unheeded, and we got plunged into a civil war, and it took the death of 630,000 men to finally end the scourge of slavery in our nation. But this is, I want you to get his perspective, especially when it comes to God's judgment uh, concerning nations. And he said this, he said, every master of slaves is born a petty tyrant. They bring the judgment of heaven on a country. Now this, this is what's interesting. As nations cannot be rewarded or punished in the next world, they must be in this. So in other words, when we stand before God uh, on that great day of judgment, we, we go as individuals where men are going to give an account for everything that they have done and said in this world. Okay? Um, and so he's saying because that's true, that in eternity we're going to stand as individuals to face the judgment of the Lord, that God must of necessity judge nations in the here and now. And this is how he put it together. By an inevitable chain of causes and effects, providence punish national sins by national calamities. And are we not seeing that in our day, brothers and sisters, right? Once your sins reach heaven as a nation, the abominations reach heaven as a nation, you suffer a series of national calamities, right? And so clearly uh, he warned, uh, warned America uh, of this truth. We didn't take heed and we denied the right of liberty uh, to our black brothers and sisters. It took a scourge of the Civil War uh, to end that abomination uh, in our land. And, uh, but what we're facing today is we have denied millions and millions and millions of preborn children made in the image of God the right to life. So God only knows what we have stored up as far as God's wrath upon the United States of America uh, for this betrayal, especially in a nation like ours. When you go through the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, I mean, it's clear we understood that life was the first and foremost fundamental right of all. And to be founded on that, and, and to have this creed as a nation, and then deny it, and violate it. Oh yeah, you're in trouble with the Almighty uh, when we do these things. And so it's, it's important, and one of the things we taught our, our children was, yes, God will judge us as individuals. Now, I, I do want to make a distinction between the judgment of the unbeliever and the judgment of the believer. Like one of the most... Like you talk about comforting or um, encouraging or inspiring passages of scriptures, it's 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 so awesome, brother. It's it's John, I think it's five twenty four, and it, 
And Jesus is talking about, you know, if we believe on him and the one, you know, believe in the Father and the one whom he sent and believe in the words that he is ministering to us, he says, we have already passed from death unto life. And listen, and it says, we shall not come into judgment. We shall not come into judgment. I don't know about you. I know me and I know the things that I have done so wickedly, so evil, so wrong. And to have the Lord say, listen, I know your past. I know what you've done. Okay. But you put your faith and trust in me. You repent. You turn to me. You abide in me. You trust in my word. You get filled with the spirit and be led by my spirit. You've already passed from death unto life. And you're not going to come into judgment. See, the judgment for the believer is not whether or not, you know, we're, we're going to heaven or going to hell. That's not the judgment of the believer. Jesus says once we believe in him, we've already passed from death unto life. It's already a done deal. And there's nowhere in the New Testament that the, the Bible says when a, when a believer died that he died it said he fell asleep they fell asleep and so you know there is a judgment for the believer as far as what our rewards will be in heaven uh, that is clear he talked about you know living our christian life you know is is your works like wood hay and stubble or are they you know precious stones are they gold and silver he says, you know, those things are going to be thrown into the fire, right, uh, uh, on this judgment of the believer. And uh, whatever survives that fire, uh, that's going to be your reward uh, in heaven. Okay? So, you know, pretty much that's the judgment of the believer. And so, anyway, you know, kind of teaching my children these things and... and uh, one of the scriptures I, I, I brought him to when I talked about how God uh, in his providence, how he judges generations, uh, there's this scripture, it's in um, Matthew 12, 41, 42, and Jesus says this, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. So it's interesting, you know, he, because the Lord is here, you know, they have no excuse. All the promises, all the predictions of the Messiah are coming to pass uh, in their day. And if anybody should have known who Christ was, what his mission was, what his purpose for coming was, it was the, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. Uh, and yet uh, their eyes were blinded, their hearts were hard. Uh, and so he's speaking directly to that generation. And he is saying, like, 
and he, he he did this a lot, by the way, that really kind of ticked off the home crowd. Um, because whenever he was trying to teach them a lesson about who he was, he always kind of put it in context with God being merciful uh, to the Gentiles in some way. And of course, that really angered uh, the Jewish people, uh, you know, just how they were raised and what they were taught. And, you know, and so he was always tweaking them, always tweaking them, you know, and, and part of the reason why he spoke in parables and dark sayings, you know, was to, you know, prayerfully provoke them to think about, you know, how they're responding to his coming. And perhaps, you know, their eyes would be open and their heart would be open to the truth, you know. So anyway, we go on and we find out that Jesus also describes and he defines generations. So again, dealing with his own generation, uh, at one point he called that generation an evil and adulterous generation that seeks signs. Now that's obviously that's that's an incredible uh, comprehension on our Lord's part. Like he he's he's observing Israel. He's he's observing that generation, and as he's observing this generation, he's going, man, how can I define? How can I describe? Like just nail this generation. I know it's an evil and adulterous generation and in matthew 11 he even brings more clarity in depicting his generation so this is what jesus observed right uh yeah this is in matthew chapter 11 and in he's, he's he's asking the question but to what shall i liken this generation it's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to the companions saying we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But our Lord ends, but wisdom is justified by her children. And so... We know, brother, when you follow the Gospels and you follow the narrative of the Lord's ministry, we know that uh, there were times, obviously, he got alone. He'd go up into the mountains. He'd go to the quiet place to pray, to seek the Father's face, to commune with him on the vision and mission of the Gospel of the Kingdom and fulfill his ministry on, on earth. We also know... Uh, brothers and sisters, he, he would go to the highways and byways and he would teach the multitudes, you know, kingdom truths and biblical truths and, you know, things of this nature. But it also says that he would put himself in a position just to observe, like his generation, uh, to observe Israel, to observe their comings and their goings. And, and in one case, he said he observed the multitudes and uh, he was moved with compassion because these sheep were being harassed and they were without a shepherd. And so in that case, just seeing the plight of the people where he literally goes out just to observe the masses. And as he's observing that, you know, his heart is moved with compassion because he saw them as sheep without 
a shepherd. Okay? And so we know that the Lord took time to, to assess things, right? To take inventory of things, to observe, right? He was very observant. And, uh, and in this case, when he's, he's, he's making some comparisons here, you know, how, what, what do I liken this generation? And when you put the whole uh, observation in its context, it, it's interesting because, you know, in general, um, this generation um, has some context with God. You know, I mean, obviously, Israel was a very religious nation, right? Um, Judaism and the Old Testament. Um, and so they, they had that context, no doubt about that. But what I find interesting about this, and I think this should deeply concern us today, because I, I think we're in a similar place and we've become a similar generation where like America we're very very religious you know just like Israel of old but like you know religion is up and our morality is down right you know and um, but it, it just seems to me that how the Lord is assessing his generation is that they that generation lost something very very precious and I, and I, I believe we, we ourselves are in the process of doing this. It's like that generation lost the ability to correctly respond to God's dealings in their generation. In, in other words, you know, just in the context, he talks about, in other words, if the Messiah has come, right? The Messiah has come. Our captivity is over, right? This, is, this should be reason of great rejoicing but you know what they they don't want to dance they, they don't they don't want to go to that party and then you know when it comes to repentance and the acknowledge of our sin that we should you know break and be broken and and repentance and mourn our, our sinful ways and our moral failings uh, there's no lamenting right there's no repentance there's no brokenness, which is so precious in the sight of God. He said, a broken and contrite heart, he will never despise, ever. He'll never turn somebody away who has broken and a contrite heart that cries out to him, right? And, uh, you know, and then it goes on with, you know, John and, you know, he, he, you know he's out there in the wilderness, you know, eating locusts and wild honey. I mean, he's a rough dude, man. You know, he's not the kind of guy you bring home, you know, to the potluck supper guy. You know, he's, he's, he's rough and tough and hard to bluff, right? And so apparently some people thought he was demonized. And then when it came to our Lord, who he says came eating and drinking, and remember that was one of the accusations against the Lord, that Jesus Christ was a friend of sinners. Now we got to remember that, brothers and sisters. That was not, that was not a, a an endorsement. <laughs> that was an accusation, right? That was a condemnation upon him. If you're a holy man, how in the world can you hang with these people? Are you serious? They'll defile you. They'll corrupt you. You know. But our Lord was so powerful and so precious. He said, "I, I, you know, the doctor doesn't come for the well. He comes for the sick." 
right? He came to call sinners to repentance. And praise be to God that he did that, right? And so the accusation against the Lord, he's a glutton, he's a wine-bibber. Friend of tax collectors and sinners, right? And so here's the thing. They're, they're, they're responding like, you know, John the Baptist and Jesus and the apostles are calling out. They're teaching. You know, signs and wonders are following the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom, right? God's word is going forth. It's going forth in power. And this nation and generation is responding, just not responding correctly. And that was the great error of that generation. And what we have to be very careful of, brothers and sisters, is that we do not follow that same foolish and wicked course. And honestly, brothers and sisters, this, this leads into some of the other things that I try to impart into our children to encourage them, right? That when you look at the temptation of this generation, which is very similar, again, we're a very religious nation, and we do respond to God uh, in this nation, but the issue is, are we responding correctly to his dealings in this generation? That is the issue that must be dealt with. That is the issue that must be resolved, just like in their generation. Now, we know they never made the adjustment, right? They never uh, repented for how they treated the ones that God sent to them, right? And it cost them greatly in 70 AD. And what our Lord prophesied came to pass. Not one stone would be left upon another. And behold, your house is left to you desolate. But brothers and sisters, this is why um, we, we have to. And this is so critically important in light of this situation that we're dealing with in our generation, there's a great need, a great demand for re prophetic reformers to arise. And, and this is something that I have been involved in for many, many, many years to equip especially young men and, and challenge them uh, to take the time, just like our Lord, right? He, 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 he took time to observe, like he took inventory. You know, he was looking around. Uh, he was weighing things, right? And he, he was making righteous judgments concerning uh, nations and generations, okay? And so we need to equip and train godly young men to honestly to assess the condition of this generation. And what I mean by that is that we, we need godly young men to arise who will take the time to observe, to research. Like what is the condition of the family in this generation, right? What's the condition of the church in this generation? What's the condition of our communities, right? And what is the state of our nation? And, and to observe it, research it, and then hold up what we find to the light of Scripture. So critically important, right? And then 
whatever the scripture says, we have to give our lives to take what is, right? The honest assessment, the true condition of, you know, marriage, family, church, community, our nation, the true condition, right? Take what it is, and we got to be brutally honest what it is, and then give our lives to make it what it ought to be. And brothers and sisters, this is how we faithfully pass on this multi-kingdom generation. This is how we pass on the baton from one generation to the next, right? And so this leads me to, to really conclude this time because I really wanted to lay this background with you because we have two... Uh, kingdom projects that are converging uh, even as i speak to you uh, we have the kingdom leadership institute our online school that prayerfully will have our first pilot semester in spring of next year and then this fall we're gonna do a church plant called the american reformation church and I wanted to spend just a couple of minutes to understand what what these things are based on, okay? Well, obviously, first and foremost, it's based on the study of Scripture. But it's also spending a lot of time uh, of studying God's redemptive historical patterns. So most of you are, like, are familiar with the historic Reformation, Okay. Now, understand, I believe the 66 books are the closed canon of Scripture. God's not going to add to that or subtract from that. It's a closed canon. But there is the revelation of God contained within those 66 books. So, like, for instance, for like the historic Reformation, the just shall live by faith was always in the scriptures, right? It was always there. In Habakkuk, in Romans, the just shall live by faith. So even the Catholic Church had copies of the Bible. Um, they probably read those words over and over again, but there was a disconnect. It didn't resonate. They were blinded to its reality. And so for centuries, you know, the church is becoming corrupt, right? And, and we have this huge struggle going on, on the integrity of the church when it comes to the relationship with God and his holy scriptures. And so for centuries, you know, the church was walking in darkness. It was corrupt, right? But at a certain point in time, God began to move on certain men, and the Holy Spirit, you know, opened their eyes, opened their heart, opened their understanding to the biblical truth, the just shall live by faith. Again, that passage of Scripture was always there, but it took the Holy Spirit to open their eyes to see it and make application in the world. And once that hit, the Reformation took off in earnest. And you see that throughout redemptive history, right? There's certain times, certain generations, certain men 
that God opens their eyes to portions of the scripture. He illuminates that. He reveals that, right? And then those men give their lives to make sure those truths are established in the earth. And they typically did it through two ways. A, they knew they had the responsibility to pass it on to future generations. And then there was literally churches that were established to carry that present day truth. All right. So when we think about like where we're at uh, as the church in America, okay, and, and you look at what the Holy Spirit is doing in our age, especially as it relates um, to the abolitionist movement per se, and and God beginning to to raise up, like you know, when the scripture talks about where the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. And so, you know, when when we see God bringing forth repentance, you know, amongst churches and pastors and elders and Christians when it comes to you know, child sacrifice, the shedding of innocent blood when it comes to the homosexual agenda and all their tyrannies and their oppression. And when it comes to the transgendered movement where these kids' minds are being raped and their bodies are being mutilated, you know, God is awakening uh, his church and he's uh, convicting us, right? And so, and again, God's word doesn't change you know, he's not going to add to it. He's not going to subtract to it. But in certain generations, there are certain scriptures that God does highlight. He does reveal and he makes application, you know, in in the earth, in, the, in that generation. And it's the responsibility of men and women of God to make sure, A, we not only see it established in our day, but we have to make sure we faithfully pass it on to the generations to come. And part of that is to have churches that would be, again, I'm not, I guess what I'm saying, churches that will make the word of God relevant to the issues of the generation that we are facing. And so I, I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, like one of the major reasons why we're starting the Kingdom Leadership Institute and the American Reformation Church, it's based on that biblical and historical pattern that I've seen throughout redemptive history. This is something that must be done. We have to make preparations for the future. A lot of the men of God who have carry in their bodies the scars of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They're going home to be with the Lord. They're getting up there in years. And God has deposited so much in them, so much wisdom and so much knowledge and understanding, so much revelation. And it is important that we preserve that and faithfully pass it on, uh, to the generation coming up and the generations to come. And so I just really wanted to um, just share with you um, this sort of generational thinking, this sort of generational understanding, 
and looking at, you know, the scriptures, looking at church history and what God did in certain generations and, and what, you know, followed, like how did the men and women of God respond to the present day truth? What did they do? They started schools, right? They, 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 they established churches and they made sure that what God was bringing forth into the earth, that they were faithful not only to establish it in their generation, but to faithfully pass it on uh, to other generations. And so, you know, my, my final thought on this, you know, one of the, one of the major truths that came out of the historic uh, Reformation um, was a saying called Semper Reformanda, always reforming, always reforming right? That, that is, you know, that is our obligation as Christians, you know, in that sanctifying process of the Lord, right? And so, brothers and sisters, I would ask you, um, now that you may have some more background of the why the school, why the church, and, and my hope is, brothers and sisters, that others would see the value of these visions and missions, and um, and that it would encourage them uh, to you know rise up and you know the scriptures that that so desperately need to be applied in this generation that we would make those the, those emphasis. Um, it's so critically important when it comes to the future and hope of our children and grandchildren, and so you know separa reformanda. You know, always reforming. Well, that's it uh, for this episode. I pray that this generation revelation uh, was an encouragement to you. And as always, you keep pressing on to that high calling prize in Jesus' name. God bless you, saints. Till next time.